Hello, everyone. We're with Stepser again. Here is Matteo speaking. I'm joined by Andrea and Clarinda. Uh, they both represent Cactus Communications, and they're here to speak about uh, a very successful report that has been released recently. Not to give anything away, I'll let you to introduce yourself so that uh, the audience, myself, everyone tuning in, knows a little bit more about your background. So. Clarinda, I'll, I'll say you start first. You're Senior Director at Cactus Communication. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Matteo, for having me. Um, and Andrea. Uh, we, so I'm Clarinda, and uh, I've been working with Cactus for many years. Cactus is a global scholarly communications uh, company. What that means is that we help research through the light of day and get published, get, get visible, or, you know, get more eyeballs in the public eye. Um, and we support researchers uh, across various career stages or uh, in their professional journey. And um, so my, I'll just talk a little bit about my work on this report. Uh, basically, we've been working with researchers for, um, you know, as cactus of over 18 years. And um, while we supported them, uh, you know, for more uh, hard uh, essentials, like, uh, you know, supporting them to get published or supporting them uh, to make a publication uh, more consumable by the layperson. Uh, while we did all this, we realized that uh, more and more uh, that mental health at the workplace you know, is, has become a global buzzword. And uh, while, and especially right now in the COVID pandemic, I think that researchers are working terribly hard. And I don't think that people really see researchers as people. Very few people, like, could you name a few researchers from among your friends or, uh, you know, extended contacts? No one sees them. You just see these big uh, news headlines and things like that about their accomplishments. And uh, so by and large, researchers are only recognized by their accomplishments and not as people. And uh, as we spoke to more and more researchers, we felt the need to highlight uh, mental health in academia, which is a very, very uh, less discussed topic. And uh, we wanted to do this at a global scale. So, um, so yeah, so that's what drove me to take up this project. And uh, I'm really excited to talk to you more about it. Well, I mean, first of all, thank you both for, for joining. I think, like, you know, we discussed pri prior to the recording, and I think this is a tremendous, like, incredible accomplishment. Um, Andrea, I'll give you the chance to introduce yourself. You're a senior associate at Cactus Communications. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Matteo, for having us here today. And we're really excited uh, to talk about the survey and the survey report. Uh, so I won't get into what Cactus does, because Clarinda covered that. I'll just talk about how I've been involved in the survey. Uh, so it, it's, been, it's been a really uh, long, drawn-out effort. And it's, it's, been, um, it's been long days and extensive work hours. But... Um, for us, like Clarinda said, uh, the fact that uh, we feel like it's going to make even, say, 3% or 5% of a difference to researchers' lives is, for us, well worth the effort. And uh, it's like validation for us, even to see people tell us that um, 
uh, we can't believe there's a survey like this or I've always wanted to say all of this and I never knew how or where. So I feel for us, it's just uh, great that uh, we were able to do something like this. Uh, and uh, like Clarinda, I've been working on this for the past one year and I've been managing the survey project. And uh, it's been, it's, I feel like it's been a very fulfilling experience for us both. And um, if you think, if I, if I look back to the sort of precursor that uh, set the precedent for a project like this, uh, a lot of people ask us, why this project? Why now? And uh, we always respond with the stories, just the stories, the experiences. Uh, we started talking to researchers about their um, personal lives and experiences, and we realized that uh, it's not just about the accomplishments. It's not just the headlines, right? It's so much more, and they're just people like us. And it's important for people to know what they go through and uh, the kind of lives they lead for them to be able to help us on a day-to-day -day basis. So um, it's been great working on this and especially getting to interact with so many researchers. I, I know not, not a lot of people have that privilege and uh, I've been able to talk to so many on a one-to-one -one basis and just get to see life from their perspective. So uh, I'm really excited to share some of their views with you all today. Thank you very much. And, and you know, picking up on, on what you both mentioned, you know, like Clarinda, Clarinda asked, like, would you, would you be able to name any, any research, any researcher, um, you know, among your group of peers or friends? And, and honestly, you know, I, I, I probably have, I would have a hard time with that. And it's true, you know, like you, you, you constantly read about researchers, you not necessarily, you read like scientific papers if you don't come from from the research or academia world, but you do come across constantly findings coming from, from researchers, but you don't know exactly who's behind it. You don't know uh, what amount of work they put in it. And, uh, and clearly there's some issues with that because uh, I feel, and a lot of people feel that the, that the research field, the academia field is uh, largely underrepresented, right? So we were discussing, again, prior to the recording, how, you know, me, for example, coming from um, a, a digital, let's say, techno technological background, uh, we are actually seeing uh, quite a few reports about either burnout or anxiety or stress in the industry. I don't see as many coming from uh, the research and academia field, right? So we're just saying that it, it almost feels like there's two separate worlds that at the end of the day are not that separate. So it, it's only fair to, I think, to be here and, and touch upon this topic and, and give you the representation you deserve in this sense. And I, you know, I, I was looking at, at uh, you know, some of the accomplishments in, in, in general about um, Cactus Communication. I saw with, with great pleasure, like 2019, one of the best companies for millennials, uh, top 10 companies determined as a safe workplace for women in India. Um, and so it feels like there's a lot coming from Cactus Communications. And now this, uh, this report, which is, you know, strikes me as something extremely unique. Like if I'm not mistaken, and feel free to correct me in that, um, 13,000 researchers globally were involved in the, in the report. So this is something um, not just related to 
uh, you know, specific countries like uh, UK or US, which, has, which are normally the ones that are largely represented in these studies, but this is truly a global effort. Um, Clarinda, would you maybe introduce us to uh, the report itself? Uh, for people listening, it's called Joy and Stress Triggers. Yes. Um, so just before I get into that, uh, uh, thank you for mentioning Cactus and some of its uh, work. And I think that, uh, again, the place that we come from, uh, we are very aware of our privilege uh, working with Cactus, I think. Um, like you said, we've never felt um, any kind of discrimination or we've felt complete support in our work environment. Uh, Cactus recently won uh, an award for our response, employee response to uh, COVID and how quickly you know we were able to move all our glo global offices to work from home and uh, how supportive uh, you know, the, the organization has been both to employees uh, as well as clients. And we've done, we've been off, offering a lot of pro bono services for uh, research in the space of COVID and uh, that sort of thing. And, and so I think that we speak from a place of real uh, gratitude for that you know, and, uh, and a, a very strong awareness that uh, not everyone has it as easy. And if I were to think of researchers, um, we, we've been seeing tweets on Twitter uh, saying things like, uh, you know, the kind of response researchers are getting from supervisors or from their institutions are that, uh, I hope after the pandemic, you can make up for lost time and make good on your grant, for example, right? And uh, so there's very little uh, understanding of uh, the researcher's plight, I think. Uh, so coming to the survey report, like, I, uh, like you mentioned, it's called Joy and Stress Triggers, uh, a global survey on mental health among researchers. So it's the first of its kind uh, in that it has global coverage. Um, it has very strong representation from uh, Asia, from India, China, Japan, South Korea, which are also key uh, markets for capitalist communications. And that's how we were able to uh, get researchers uh, responding from those countries. But that's really relevant and important because even if mental health is being spoken of, it's still a huge taboo subject in these countries, uh, not just and definitely in academia, but also Otherwise, um, we had about 13,000 uh, researchers take the survey, over 13,000. And, um, and we also have strong representation from minority groups apart from geography. So um, minority groups in terms of uh, gender and sexual orientation or race and uh, ethnicity. And uh, so, yeah, so it's a really representative uh, sample. I think that that's what makes it special. Uh, apart from that, the theme basically, uh, so the way we thought about this is that, uh, you know, researchers are driven by passion and we know that the environment is not really conducive to, uh, you know, creative, passionate output. Um, but there are researchers who thrive and we wanted to understand if there are environmental factors that determine that. So we did not want to make it all negative because the truth is, and uh, even our survey report 
says that more than 75% of the people who took the survey, uh, uh, they feel like their work gives them a sense of purpose and fulfillment. So we, we really wanted it to be a joy and stress trigger survey because we wanted it to show the whole picture. Uh, essentially, we wanted to understand what brings joy and what causes stress. And then if there are some takeaways that could be uh, implemented across institutions globally uh, as best practices, then um, then we would uh, be in a really you know good place towards the future, I think. Thank you, Kalinda. That's, that's a, an extremely useful introduction to, to the survey. I mean, I, I had the chance to, to look through most of it. I, I, I appreciate you mentioning, you know, minorities. Uh, I appreciate you also looking at this from a, from a, let's say, a positive lens, right? Like, because like you said, like you, uh, you know, you, you started with obviously praising uh, Cactus Communications, which obviously are doing an incredible job in this sense. Uh, and, but you also said that, you know, there's the good and the bad and, uh, and you start from, you start from the good, you start with the people who are actually driving in this environment and, you know, in the hope that you can replicate that for, for the ones that are less lucky and, uh, and less able to do so. And I think that's a, that's a really good uh, lens. That's a really good approach also to, to, uh, to showcase to the ones who are listening right now. Um, Andrea, like if I may ask you regarding the the report itself what are you think the the parts in your opinion that are worth mentioning what are the you know we speak about joy and stress triggers is there some of these triggers that you would be able to um to mention to illustrate to us sure um so we have been over the report multiple times and um but there's there's always these certain um, key insights that my mind keeps taking me back to, uh, some of which are positive, some of which not, not so much. But uh, I feel like, and uh, maybe some of uh, the people who are tuning into this would agree, but most of it took me by surprise. And even though I was involved in the survey right from the start, uh, there were certain findings which I looked at and I said, oh my God, this cannot be happening. And if it's happening, then something needs to be done. Uh, for me, I think one of those would be the worryingly high proportion of uh, survey participants who said that they had experienced or they were experiencing some form of bullying, discrimination, uh, or sort of, I think, har harassment. And uh, if I can recall the numbers, I think it was close to around 40%. And that's 40% of 13,000 researchers. That's not a small number at all. So um, I feel like it kept taking me back to this. And uh, it's not uh, something that is unusual because uh, I'm very active on Twitter in the academic Twitter space. And I have seen a lot of researchers talk about, uh, talk at length about instances in which uh, they've either felt uh, cornered or they felt bullied or, or harassed and there's nothing they could do about it. So um, I feel like this is one of the key findings for me, at least from the survey, because I felt like a lot of uh, a, a lot of feelings of how they might be responding to their work environments could be related to this. For instance, if if you are in a situation where you're feeling either bullied or you're feeling harassed, then it can take a toll on you in so many ways, right? 
how are you expected to be productive how are you expected to even seek support and um, it takes me to who is the harasser or who are, are these people being bullied by is it someone in um, a position of authority and if so then if they do experience things like this and they need to reach out for support then who do they turn to so i feel like in terms of just spreading awareness and uh, sort of uh, getting people to acknowledge that this exists and in large numbers uh, i feel is one of the most uh, uh, is one of the most powerful things to come out of this survey project because uh, at the end of the day if we are thinking of um, if institutions can do something what can they do i feel like it's very important for um, officials and in institutions and universities to first sort of understand what their researchers are going through for them to be able to come up with uh, efficient and uh, useful action plans so definitely i think for me this would be one of the most key findings that i'd want everyone uh, to pay attention to uh, maybe clarinda could uh, talk about another one yeah so i think that uh, there were like a lot of it was surprising uh, there were some things that we expected uh, you know in the in the responses but there were other things that were surprising so what we expected uh, were the, was a high number of people to say that uh, they feel a lot of pressure to publish and uh, if you understand uh, which probably not a lot of people do but if you understand the uh, research environment and how uh, a career progression is determined it's usually by the number of publications you have and uh, publications are usually an outcome of success in research but the truth is that most of your days in research are failures uh so then then it's really difficult that you're measured by successes that are few and far between because of the nature of research um and that you have that you know that pub, your publication output is all that um determines how whether you make it and uh, so we did expect people to say that the pressure from that from the need to publish is very high and that was uh, that was true uh we also like like i said the high proportion of people who say that they actually get joy from their work and they like there are aspects and their their environment or uh, you know sort of stimulates them uh, to succeed and by environment or uh, the comment the comments lent some of uh, granularity to that where uh, the comment said uh, you know i really uh, like my my peers inspire me but uh, my institution not necessarily uh you know i don't think that my institution or my environment physical environment is as conducive um apart from the harassment and bullying uh, aspect which is of course extremely worrying i think um that there were other things like um the long hours researchers are expected to work or uh, in general researchers work very long hours and uh, now again that i need to qualify or uh, researchers are driven by passion and by the nature of work often uh, you cannot uh, restrict yourself to a lab from 9 to 5 right because if you're working with uh, an organism uh, and you're looking for something in that you need to uh, rely on the organism to uh, show up whenever it decides to so uh, so i will uh, qualify that statement but i think that it is a problem if institutions are not 
aware that their researchers are working excessively long hours and uh, you know if their institutions are not sort of uh, making provisions for more flexibility for more work life balance uh, and things like that i think that 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 could be a problem um i think that a lot of people said that their institutions and to to this goes along with the with the finding about bullying and harassment that um many people who said they experienced bullying and harassment said that their institutions have no policies uh you know regarding this and i think that that's a huge problem right because uh, then again who do they turn to they uh, they have no they, there is no framework uh, basically to address uh, these problems and also many many researchers almost 50% i think said that they would not uh, discuss feelings of being stressed at work with anyone in the workplace uh, and then you you are left with the conundrum of uh, people outside the workplace not even understanding research at all so uh, then you you're not likely to get support if if it's not within your workplace and then people outside don't even understand your job uh, then where do you get support uh, so i think that these were some of the things that stood out for me so that's that's extremely interesting like and and as you see like I'm on camera and I'm constantly I'm constantly noting things down like so you you basically answered one of my next questions which is how difficult is it for people to open up um so like how how difficult is it for researchers to open up uh in general like both in their own work environment and outside of it so i feel like this this report gave gave a voice to you know thousands of researchers out there in this case 13000 about 13000 researchers um to express their opinion in a way that you know otherwise they wouldn't have been able to do so um so can we let's say can i say is it correct to say that is that is basically very difficult for for people within academia to open up and address um this issue themselves is it difficult to be proactive within the within the uh, research environment so i can uh, i can take that and then andrea can add some more but i think that uh, basically the reason that it's probably so much more in research one of the reasons uh, so much more in research than elsewhere to bring up issues like this uh i think is that uh, researchers inherently uh, so this imposter syndrome is you know very very predominant it's very prevalent and it's it's a very well well discussed concept in academia where basically you just feel you you always feel not good enough to be among the kind of people you're working with right so then that in that naturally creates the perception that no matter what you do or uh, the problem lies with you uh, that you cannot that you cannot deal with the environment there must be something wrong with you because look at what others have produced or uh, look at look at who i'm looking up to right look at this nobel laureate uh, or look at basically and and again it's also a function of how they are measured which is which is their publication so uh then it's very natural to feel like i don't even have an and of course again our report showed that uh you know the feeling of being overwhelmed at work is higher among younger or early career researchers which which again ties to the fact that 
they might be feeling i don't even have publications to my credit and how can i complain about my work environment or uh, i don't have my productivity on paper so how can i complain about a supervisor that's bullying me uh, you know when the supervisor themselves is asking for my publications uh, and to you know to publish more so so i'm guessing that that that's one of the factors that makes it very difficult uh, for researchers and uh, would you like to add yeah so i agree completely with what kirinda said and i'd like to add something uh, there so to answer mateo's question on how easy or difficult it is for them to open up i would say it's a mixed bag and uh, this is based on what we found uh, via the survey as well as um, what i see cropping up on twitter all the time so if i can give you an example um uh i've seen multiple researchers during this covid time uh in which they've had to like everyone they've had to reinvent how they work uh what their work consists of um do a lot of like make make a lot of changes so uh it, it's it's ideally um or you could say it's a very it has been a very stressful time for everyone given all of the changes and i've seen a lot of researchers um and academics talk about how uh, they've gotten the sense from the people they work with or the people they work for that they should uh, sort of pull up their socks and get back on the gun after this time off you know put that in quotes time off so it's not it hasn't um they haven't seen uh, the sort of um support or or even acknowledgement that this has inherently been a very stressful time and a lot of people have even been concerned about whether uh, they'd even get funded later on or whether funding bodies might just change uh, what they're funding so uh, in this sense uh, i feel like if if a researcher is working in an environment like this then it's definitely going to be very difficult for them to open up uh, i've also seen researchers say things like we've been getting um, mixed feelings uh, or uh, uh, mixed emotions in response to what sort of things their uh, institutions are conveying to them at this time so for the institutions who are conveying that uh, you know you should take care of yourself you should be more aware of what's stressing you out at the moment then there's a giant but associated with it but we would also like you to give in your publications by this date and grade your papers by this date and let's just be very holistic and uh, do everything we were doing before or more but please take care of yourself so i feel like it's a mixed bag here and it would completely depend on the kind of environment that they're working in uh in terms of how open they feel uh, or how readily uh, they're willing to open up to people i think i would go back to the survey report here and uh, talk about some of the key barriers that researchers uh, spoke about in terms of why they would hold back from seeking support or why they wouldn't approach relevant authorities in their work environment even if available so i feel some of the ones that really stuck with me were um them thinking that even though uh, someone would hear them out and they would be able to empathize there's not much that they'd be able to do uh, i think another one that uh, would i think it really scared me is that uh, one of the key barriers to why someone wouldn't uh, seek support was the fear of not being taken seriously so i would go back to what clarinda said in terms of 
since everyone's doing it and everyone's excelling, if you can't keep up with the pressure, then something might be wrong with you. So I feel like um, I feel like the conversations are starting, and a lot of people are opening up, and uh, they're very relatable experiences because a lot of researchers are going through the same thing. But uh, I'm not sure uh, how willing they'd be to speak to a person that would actually be in a position to do something about this. Um, I think I'm going to end this with uh, another uh, barrier uh, of why people, why researchers in the survey said they wouldn't uh, seek support or uh, talk about it or why they wouldn't seek professional help even if they knew that they needed it. And uh, this, I think, a lot of people who have read the survey, it has bothered them and uh, it, it, it reflects a sort of... Uh, uh, it, it reflects a sort of normalization of the academic life being uh, inherently stressful and uh, feeling anxious and stressed and pressured is just part of it. So I have seen a lot of researchers on Twitter uh, say that uh, they have gotten some sense of this from people who they work with uh, in that um, I've seen people saying that we have to stop or uh, we have to stop uh, sort of romanticizing and glorifying working long hours and you know how people come to you and they say oh I just slept for four hours last night but I'm still going that in itself is a problematic statement right so I feel like uh, we need to talk more about mental health uh, in, in, in academia uh, if we want to sort of change the norm and uh, let people know that it's okay for them do not feel okay sometimes and uh, there's things that they can do to take better care of themselves. That's, again, that's that's extremely interesting, especially for somebody, you know, like me, and I'm sure a lot of people listening could uh, could relate, like, you know, I don't come from this environment, but it's, it's surprising to hear how close these issues are to to many media many other industries and yet we treat them separately you know like why is the research and academia environment so much underrepresented you know like you said like there is you know and there's some if you if if you allow me like there's some parallels that i would like to draw and and i think you know the picture makes makes a lot of sense especially now uh, after after we we spoke for for some time um you know, there is for sure one one main issue that I see as an external is that researchers are uh, valued on their performance. And this is something that, you know, me as somebody coming from a sales background, for example, can totally relate. So uh, a professional, in this case, a, a researcher, a PhD, uh, you know, whomever want, you want to take into exam, they are valued they're deemed good and bad exclusively or almost exclusively based on their publications but like you like you rightly said you know now we are in 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 covid times and maybe uh, their research had to necessarily slow down uh, or maybe there is other factors contributing to it you know there is there is researchers that are not uh, there are they do not have maybe uh, perfect uh, english language skills and maybe that also uh, could represent the problem despite their you know their their amazing their amazing background in their field um, so there is there is a lot of components that go into that go into uh, the number of uh, of publications and this makes a lot of sense if you tie it to 
the other issue, which is, you know, Karinda, you mentioned it perfectly, the imposter syndrome. And this is also something that it's very much present in the, uh, let's say, digital marketing world, which is the world I belong to. And, and it makes sense to, to hear that because you're, you're valued mostly on the, on the output, um, then it makes it very difficult, especially for younger researchers, to feel that they have the right to complain because, you know, why would they complain if they, they haven't even uh, published something? But it doesn't mean that they're not directly being affected, they're not suffering from it. So it feels like there is, there is this vicious circle, this vicious loop um, that is very difficult to break from, right? Um, and, uh, and I also, you know, just to add on top of this, I, I had a look prior to our conversation um, specifically to the situation, Andrea, you mentioned it about um, COVID-19 and, uh, and the work that researchers put out there. And it seems like there is also another, let's call it an elephant in the room, a, a big problem that is, that is very much overlooked. And that's researchers feeling very much unaccomplished, right? Which is obviously directly tied to uh, the imposter syndrome issue, but you know, COVID-19 for a lot of researchers has meant um, a steady slowdown in their activity. Um, some of them maybe were directly relying on resources that uh, during COVID-19 have, have come less, so there's been a lack thereof. And because of that, you know, their, their self-efficacy, their, their, uh, their accomplishment or their sense of accomplishment has slowed down greatly. So this adds to the sense of guilt that, uh, that these people, that these professionals feel when, when complaining to someone. And you know, to kind of like tie it back to what we discussed, that's also why uh, it is very, very difficult for people to open up and make this, make this problem, um, I guess, apparent and evident to the world, unless they have the chance to do so through uh, a survey or a report like the one you put together, right? So it all makes sense, but it definitely uh, requires a lot more discussion, a lot more uh, in-depth review, and definitely, I think, also a lot more attention uh, from fields outside of yours, right? Um, and yeah, so this is just, a, I think, a personal consideration from, uh, from somebody who does not, does not belong to that world, but sees a lot of similarities uh, with his and, and yours. Yes, Clarinda, you wanted to add something. So yeah, I would like to comment on uh, everything that you just said. I think that what's really important to note about our survey and the results. Um, so while you mentioned the COVID-19 situation and how uh, it's affected researchers, so it's it's sort of polarized researchers, right? Because those working in the COVID-19 space, uh, they're, they're just overworked and they're, they, they don't have a minute to breathe and they're racing against the clock. And uh, then you have researchers who are trying to uh, reprioritize to sort of fit uh, this, this new framework and uh, redirect their research towards COVID-19 in some way. And then there are researchers who uh, might not have anything, uh, their research might not have anything to do with COVID-19 and they're worried about future funding and they're worried about what happens after. But I think what's really important to note is that um, while mental health has become a, obviously a much more spoken of uh, problem during this pandemic, and that's natural, uh, this survey 
had six months uh, of a run before the pandemic began, right? And um, I think that that's really important because I obviously we didn't see this coming. Uh, and when when we started the survey, I don't think that the findings were drastically would have been drastically different. Um, and so, if you think about how your own life has been affected by the pandemic and your mental health, and uh, you know your and for people for people who've lost jobs, the 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 absolute worry and uh, you know the uncertainty and that just pall of gloom over their heads. Uh, but if you think about these results that are coming out from our survey being pretty much the same regardless of the pandemic that's that's even more worrisome right because then you're saying that this is how it's always been and uh, there's this this that makes it so much more of a problem that why has it not been spoken of uh, at a large scale before i think that uh, that, that was one thing i left uh, i needed to add yeah and 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 thank you for that because that's actually a crucial point and and leads me to to an additional question um, do you think, you know, clearly the COVID-19 might have made things worse, but, you know, obviously the problems were there before. Um, so regardless of, uh, of COVID-19, uh, you know, it is, it is a fact that, uh, that uh, this report would have happened anyway, and likely the results would have been similar. We don't know, but probably, right? Okay. Um, do you think, uh, and I'm addressing both of you, and, and you know, I don't expect necessarily a straightforward answer here, but do you think that because of COVID-19, uh, will it be easier to drag the attention to this, to this issue? So can we say that it may be, I mean, this is just a hope, right? Like, but could we say that COVID-19 in this sense somehow helped draw the attention to, to this problem? I would like to hope so because I would think that uh, that any decision maker in any institution uh, is just being hit by so much information on, you know, taking on corporates, for example, taking care of employees or, uh, you know, various business establishments and how they're responding to this on a human level. Um, I think that that. I, I would hope that this gives it that impetus, but I will say that, so I would like to uh, describe in brief the structure uh, in, in a research institution, uh, you know, so it can be a huge research institution, can be a huge university that's doing research in various subject areas. Uh, now, how it works is that um, each uh, principal investigator or PI has their own lab. Uh, the PI has gotten there after years of struggling. Uh, okay, so the PI uh, very well deserves their place of power and position and all of that. Um, and the PI handles all the funds that come in to that lab. Um, the PI makes all the decisions for that lab. The PI pretty much decides uh, how hard their researchers work or what kind of flexibility they're given and all of that. Now, if now, so basically above the PI, the university administration is only practically looking at disbursement of funds or like, so what funds are going to which lab or what labs are maintaining their merit for that kind, for that kind of funding. So do they get the same amount of funding as the previous year and what publications are coming out of that lab, right? 
so now the a lot of power rests with a few people which are the pis and you and we have heard i, I it's not uh, i definitely don't want to uh, put out a blanket thing that pis are bad or anything like that because we've heard wonderful stories about very supportive pis but i think that it's extremely important for them to recognize their position of power and uh, you know the fact that there is no hr uh, department that their people can go to they are the only gateway right their their researchers can only talk to them for any kind of support or or things like that and so then it's really important for pis to recognize that their job is not just the output of that lab their job is uh maintaining the morale of their team and uh, as well and and then making sure that their researchers have the channels that they need to you know take take problems to to relevant people or uh, the pis themselves driving for change and things like that which is also why i think it's very important that uh, now although there have been surveys like this done before many of them uh, focus on grad students or early career researchers again and again this is one of the only surveys that had quite a few faculty or uh, level respondents who we believe are capable of bringing about that change so i think that that uh, while people might sit back and say oh wow this is a time when we should think about this uh, it's important to think about who is who has the power to go ahead and do that as well interesting um andrea like is is there anything you want to add on on what clarinda said and specifically uh, you know on um i would say overall suggestions on what can be done better and i know that this is um you know because of you know in the interest of time like uh this is not something we can go too much in detail in but is there something that you can add based on what we discussed on what could be done better to address the situation within uh you know within the the research structure so allow me to call it like that so um i think uh, that a lot of just to add to what clarinda said i feel like a lot of um uh, a lot of the problems that researchers experience in terms of well-being and mental health in general uh, to put that under a broad umbrella would probably uh, not be resolved but would be a lot more easier to deal with if uh, the people that manage them or if institutions could take a deeper look into uh, work life balance of researchers uh, at at the moment i feel like um, i i'm not sure if this is being looked into at all or if anyone is even thinking about it because uh, like clarinda said there's no human resource function right that's thinking about um, uh, days off or uh, if at all they're working on their weekends then how is that being managed or are people aware of it so if you work in a corporate and you do work on a sunday or a saturday you have to inform someone about it and then they would uh, probably give you a day off on another day right so i don't think that anyone's thinking about this actively right now and if we go back to the report uh, i think uh, around 45% of our respondents said that they don't have time for recreation or non work uh, related leisure activities that's almost half right and uh, that's really scary i feel uh, for for the entire the entire academic community because uh, if if you're working uh, over 50 hours over 60 hours a week then you're bound to feel things like pressure you're bound to 
feel stressed, anxious, you're bound to, it's going to lead you to burnout eventually. So I feel like uh, if uh, there's one thing that we could probably look at at a broader level and should be looked at, I think it's work-life balance because uh, a lot of the issues like long working hours or uh, researchers getting uh, more or better sleep or feeling less overwhelmed by their work situation, I feel a lot of that could uh, become easier to deal with if they just uh, had more work-life balance. And I feel now it, it's more important than ever since everyone's home has become their office. Uh, it, it's more important than ever, not just for the, the academic community, but uh, even across other industries to draw a parallel to uh, your industry, for instance. Uh, I, I feel like um, if this is taken care of, or if someone is at least actively thinking about it on how it can be improved, and that's one way that we could uh, at least take a first step to resolving some of these issues. 100% interesting. And look, I, again, thank you both for being so open and, and outspoken because I think, you know, this was extremely informative, definitely to me, but I, I believe it will be informative to everyone who's, uh, who's listening to this. And I believe that this conversation on top of the report um, is something that, needs to be spread around and needs to get as much visibility as, as it possibly can be. Um, so as we approach the end of, of the conversation, unfortunately, may I ask you know, both of you to um, maybe express, I would say one suggestion or one piece of advice that worked for you individually to maybe reach a better work-life balance or to maybe better cope with, uh, with uh, uh, you know, the situation within uh, research and academia, whether, you know, I'm not saying that your situation is particularly bad or particularly good, right? I, I will leave it to you to, um, to mention that in, if you want, but is there anything, any specific piece of advice that you want to give to people who are in a bad situation right now within your industry? Andrea, maybe you can move on. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, this is actually really, I think it's, e it's a little more easier for me to respond to this because I just thought about it a couple of days ago and I put something out on Twitter. Uh, so for me, uh, when I'm feeling stressed or if I feel like I'm approaching burnout, uh, because of work, uh, what I've learned to do, it's definitely a learned behavior. Uh, I used to be one of those people who would keep pushing even if my mind and my body were begging me to stop. And I feel like there was a lot of guilt associated with not uh, delivering or not uh, just to just keep going uh, to, to not. So say if I had to stop working a little earlier one day, I would be like, but I can do it for another three hours. I think one of the most important uh, decisions that I've made is to not guilt myself about things like these. And I feel like it's made a huge amount of difference. Uh, I don't necessarily look at these instances anymore as slacking off or procrastination. Instead, I'm actively looking at it as me just taking a break that I sometimes need and deserve and uh, that it's okay. And that uh, I can always pick it up tomorrow. And that if I keep going sometimes, and if I don't listen to my mind and body, then I probably won't be as productive as I would be if I get that rest, I get that one extra hour of sleep. 
so I think for me, it's just um, been very helpful to stop, uh, to have these guilt-free moments uh, in which I uh, assure myself that nothing's going to change in a day. I can, I, and I, I, I can always pick it up tomorrow. Thank you so much for, for expressing your thoughts. And, and Karinda, may I ask you the same question and think it works particularly well for you or maybe for other people you know? So uh, for me, and uh, well, this is just a very small uh, suggestion to for like the immediate, for an immediate, uh, you know, relief, if it, as it were, it's not going to change the world or anything. But I find that uh, journaling my thoughts really helps. Uh, I found, I, I just came across uh, a tweet, in fact, uh, the other day that said, uh, you know, uh, it said how much I'm able to write when I'm forcing myself to write and it was like two words or something uh, How much I'm able to write when I'm not able to sleep at 2 a.m. And it's like four pages um, So I feel like uh, I often don't get sleep because my mind is cluttered and I feel like I'm you know my my thoughts are bouncing all over the walls of my mind uh, and I just get up and I say I'm not I'm not sleeping anyway, so I get up and I just write literally right what am I feeling why am I feeling this way um, you know what's the worst that could happen or uh, why do I feel worried about this or whatever and it could it could be pages that I end up writing but then I just find that uh, putting it out there on paper somehow makes it much much less uh, daunting than it than it is on in your head and then it just gives you uh, a lot of peace, I think. Um, so that, that that would be my suggestion, not just for researchers, but for anybody uh, who needs just a little bit of calm uh, for a small small period of time. Well, I think I think they were both they were both extremely useful suggestions, and maybe they they wouldn't change the world if uh, taken individually. But if we all did this, um, I'm sure things would get better. Not just you know in in, in academia, but in in every in every industry, in every corporation, in every environment out there. Um, so with this being said, like I, there is not much I can add except to say thank you so much for, you know, first of all, for all the work that you put in day in, day out. Um, and, and to this, I extend the thank you to all your colleagues um, from, you know, from, from academia. Thank you for providing us with this report, which I think is extremely informative. And just for the record, it's informative not just for people who belong to the research and academia world, it's informative for, for anybody because there's a lot of interesting parallels that can be drawn uh, between your world and our world. And I, and I hate to say, you know, I hate to treat it like separate worlds, but uh, it feels like it is being treated this way um, at the moment. So thank you for everything. Thank you for speaking up on, uh, on, on this podcast and uh, hopefully, uh, this conversation will get uh, a lot more attention from now on. Obviously, we will put you know, links to, to the, the download of the report, links to uh, your profiles directly on the, on the website, stepzero.com. And, uh, and who knows, maybe we'll have the chance to speak again in the future, maybe about this topic, maybe about you know, anything related to self-care. So, Andrea and uh, Clarinda, thank you so much for once again for participating and hopefully we'll speak soon again. Thank you for having us. It was uh, absolute an absolute pleasure. Yes, I, I feel the same way. I think I need to add a thank you to that list. Uh, so obviously, thank you, Matteo, for having us. But I want to thank those 13,000 researchers who took 
time out of their busy schedules to take our 10 minute survey which was uh, i i think a really big feat in itself this wouldn't have been possible without them 100% thank you for mentioning that that was important and uh, yeah well then uh, i'll see you next time and once again congratulations and hats off for all the hard work you're putting in bye and have a good day bye have a good day bye